Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The $35 billion credit card deal that might stall in D.C. Maybe progressives are out of their mind and know nothing about business. Ah, no. Uber on the move, SpaceX going to the moon, and Amazon joining the stars. The stars of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, that is. Magnificent seven profits now exceed almost every country in the world. A retirement warning from Manhattan Institute's Allison Schrager. The end of the 401k? The 401k doesn't seem to have the same fan base that the social security system does. Plus, we're learning to super communicate with author Charles Duhigg. Super communication is just a set of skills that anyone can learn. Any of us can become a super communicator. But the single biggest thing is to ask more questions. The power of please and thank you online and on TV. You catch that, Joe? Politeness. Yeah, I did. Politeness. <laughs> it's Wednesday, February 21st, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one. Cue Anders. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Becky is out, so it is just the boys once again. Uh, but we got a lot going on. U.S. equity futures have. First up today on the podcast, Merger Monday became Takeover Tuesday. Capital One plans to acquire Discover in a $35.3 billion all-stock deal. Now, if this merger goes through, a huge one, the combined company will have more loans on its credit cards than any other card issuer, and then some. The AP reports that the loan sum would surpass J.P. Morgan's and Citigroup's combined. But the deal is likely to face regulatory pressure. Lawmakers have raised antitrust concerns and concerns for consumers and merchants who could end up paying higher fees. Senator Elizabeth Warren, longtime advocate of big bank crackdowns, posted on X yesterday warning that the merger of Capital One and Discover would threaten financial stability, reduce competition, and increase fees. She wrote, This Wall Street deal is dangerous and will harm working people. Regulators must block it immediately. Not everyone's as adamantly against the big deal. Well, let's see. You're your own man. You're a thinker, too, especially about antitrust. Okay. You Im- I don't know where this is going. You immediately came up with the notion that competition against MasterCard and Visa could end up being a positive. Positive thing, yes. Because of the capital. One. Yeah. One of your... Uh, a person that you know well uh-huh. that we have on a lot, Senator Warren. Yep. Boilerplate. She doesn't knee-jerk. agree with me. She does not agree with me. Knee that, jerk. That, that's true. She knee, doesn't but agree with knee me. jerk. I'm not worried about her. I know where she's going to come down. Okay. But when you see something like that, does it make you think maybe progressives are out of their mind and know nothing about business? Uh, no. <laughs> I, look, really? I thought, 
I thought that my you, you my, see though my, the, I understand you what see you're the, saying. I'm just saying, but you've seen take, other stuff she said. I knew that my take, by the way, in, from the antitrust world, is, is, is a bit of a contrarian take. You, were you able to walk into your other job? Were, were people murmuring when you no said, did they say, did no they say there he is? No. Here, here, you are known as kind of a a right winger, a capitalist. <laughs> capitalist. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I read this in the journal. I was just thinking, you know, Andrew said it yesterday. It's plain as the nose on your face how this worked. And right out of the box, oh, this is going to hurt, blah, blah. The same old crap, same old stuff. And you've seen a, a lot of, you know, her buyback, the stuff she says about buybacks and, you know, Lee, Leon I, Cooperman and Elon Musk. And Elon Musk paid, Elon Musk paid more taxes than her entire freaking state, basically, almost. And we hear that he's just this fat cat who doesn't pay his fair share. What's she been paying when she flipped those houses back in the financial crisis? I'm not, she... I'm not here to defend the Elon, <laughs> the, the, the Elon Musk position or the Elizabeth Warren position. You guys I are... think that Elon Musk clearly, clearly paid taxes selling the stock that he did. I think the point that she's making, and it's not, I think, unfortunately... Wealth tax? You know how ridiculous that is. The thing that she does, which... And, and she and I, we've talked about it on TV, the judge, what I don't like is the personalizing it to different people. What she does is she uses these examples symbolically of, of people to suggest that the policy should change. And I think the last time we had her on, she was actually coming to some form of an agreement uh, Potentially even with you, because I think no, you and I no, are no, brothers. no. Well, then not I got, uh, then I've not, got to revisit not my. Not on a wealth tax. I got to revisit my but, opinion. No, not on a wealth tax, but to think about the way a lot of people are now structuring their yeah. finances are such that they're basically borrowing money against no, their nobody assets. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. No. And that's something that that, that a number of people at the very that's, height that's, are able that, to that's do. That's that's work in the system. I mean, it's legal. But, it is. It's work but, in the system, and it's legal. Yeah. Right. Journal had a couple interesting pieces. Totally defending Nikki Haley, uh, staying in the race. They've turned well, they, toward, they've, they don't they like. Have, they no, don't yeah, like, they're you know, Bill Crystal like. So. Yeah, they're Bill Crystal. It's almost like a Lincoln Project. But then this, this is about the most scathing piece I've ever read about. Uh, you want to put it up so people understand what oh, you're talking about? Yeah, Joe Biden. Just uh, that he had a chance and just worst ever. The argument for squandering the chance. Worst the ever. Did we did we digress a little? Was we that worth it? I think it was worth it. Because you were right yesterday. I'll, t- I'll take right. And, 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 but when save you, that tape. When I you, mean, when's the last time you heard that? Right. When you logically come to a, a conclusion, and then, you know, okay. Amazon's joining the Dow. It's going to replace Walgreens, which was uh, by far the least impactful stock in the price-weighted index. Amazon's going to join on Monday with the 17th uh, largest weighting among the Dow 30 stocks. It's also... Uh, so that's an additional detail. You were right. There are some details. It will also uh, help make up for some of the consumer exposure, uh, which was lost by Walmart's three-for-one stock split, uh, which is effective on Monday. As we pointed out yesterday, uh, that will be from an all-time high, uh, Walmart's uh, split. What, Amazon's uh, what, $167? I mean, in terms of market cap and everything else, there still are some hard-to-defend Dow components. Well, where was it? It was CNBC.com. Magnificent seven profits now exceed almost every country in the world. And I only say that because you start to think about how few companies represent any of these indexes anymore or or can tilt the index, if you will. But some of them are, are maybe, you know, maybe we need uh, whatever industry they happen to be in. We need that. 
uh, represented, right. but in turn, it's not market cap based anymore. If, if it was simply the biggest market caps, the Dow would look uh, very, totally very different. different. Yeah. Meantime, we are watching shares of Uber this morning. That stock will join the Dow Transports, replacing JetBlue. The index committee saying the change will add exposure to the ride-sharing industry. The move was prompted by JetBlue's low weight in the index of less than one and a half, or I should say one half of one percentage point. Two billion dollar company. So, there yeah. you go. And now you have you have Uber in there, which company is, that's I think. Oof. Yeah. Been, uh, what are we at now? A lot more than it was uh, before. Uber, $160 billion market cap. No way. Yeah, $160 billion. Man, that guy. guy's I'm telling you. Doing all right. Um, doing all right. More than all right. One, ignition, and liftoff. Go SpaceX, go IM-1, and the Odysseus lunar lander. Vehicles pitching downrange. Stage one propulsion is nominal. Intuitive uh, machines jump for the third straight trading session after the company's first space mission uh, completed further milestones as it approaches uh, or approaches the moon. The mission launched on a SpaceX rocket last week and has since completed several of the 16 milestones uh, the company had identified as key uh, to the mission's success. Uh, the lander is expected to enter lunar orbit today. It's on track to make its moon landing attempt at 5:49. Uh, PM Eastern time and I, I just uh, that's tomorrow and I'll tell you one of the things that that you know this is unmanned and it, you know it's amazing that we can do all these things we don't even right. need people up there but um, the first time it happened and what we found out later Neil Armstrong what what was happening where he there was no place to put that thing down when he was doing it he was in a, a place where there was no flat area and he had like eight seconds or else there wasn't going to be enough fuel to get back up. To get back up. And he just slowly, you know, figured it out, moved. I mean, men like that, uh, men and women like that. But, yeah. you know, and, and they say age is sage. I'm not saying about necessarily everyone. But having seen that, I think, benefits me. Having seen that live. Yeah. I agree. You, I, you, were a, you were a glimmer in your grandparents' eyes I, I was, at that was, point. You were not, not even, no one even thought about you. I don't know what was your father even born then. I don't even know. Yes. Barely. I think you saw it. Okay. Coming up, Age is Sage. Is next. Sage is, age is Sage. Cheese will be next. Coming up, learning to super communicate with Pulitzer Prize winning author Charles Duick. When you've had a bad day and you want to call someone who you know will make you feel better, does that person pop into your mind? You know who you would call? Yeah. Yeah. What we can learn about better listening, better leadership, and what we can learn from each other. That person for you is a super communicator, and you're probably a super communicator back to them. But some people can do this consistently. Some people can connect with almost anyone. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box uh, here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site uh, in Times Square. I can tell you that's definitely where we are right now. It's not a, it's not a screen, not a green screen. Not a lot going on out there. You ever get anything from that truck? Have you ever gotten anything? I haven't. I've said hello to that fellow. Yeah, I see him uh, every, guy. every day. Yeah, he is. Quiet out there. Too quiet. Uh, I'm Joe Kernan along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky uh, is off today. NVIDIA, has there been any stock that maybe had more to, to do with, uh, with this incredible rally uh, that we've seen? Check out the shares right now. Uh, the company's quarterly report after the bell uh, today and looking for some big numbers there, like revenue rising like 800% or something. I said seven times. I mean, a- amazing uh, performance as AI has taken the world, um, not only by storm, but by surprise to some extent over the past year, I think. I told you, when was I a stockbroker? I mean, it was a while ago. You might not have been born. I, I bought something called Symbolics. Was I early? You've mentioned this before. I remember it. You've mentioned it before. Was I early? It doesn't exist anymore. Well, then you were too early. I was too early for my clients. Our next guest is the author of a new book. It is out this week. It is titled Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. Charles Duhigg is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and author of several books, including The Power of Habit, which I've uh, used to try to keep my habits going, though I'm not always as good as I, I should be. But I'd like you to you'd, probably stop some of the habits some I've seen you, that you, some, well, you can talk be, to Charles about that. Do you have a book about how yeah. you can do that? Well, uh, he's got you know quite what, a few. That, you know what, uh, Charles, has, though, this book, which is fascinating and really actually teaches you, Joe, how to communicate, how how people can learn from each other, how to make people feel do right. To, do I have to listen to them? <laughs> uh, well, you, I'm going to give you a copy of this book after I the segment I have a copy of her. I thought about it for my son. I mean, yeah. I think, yes. Yeah, I, I, I think, think for young people, this yeah. is critical, right? Being, yeah. able, being able to communicate is a leader's job. That's what you do as a CEO. But you have found these little, dare I say, I don't want to say tricks, but, li- but things that you can practically do to communicate more effectively. What would you say is the single biggest one? The single biggest thing that you can do, and you're right, super communication is just a set of skills that anyone can learn. Any of us can become a super communicator. But the single biggest thing is to ask more questions. And in particular, to ask a special kind of question known as a deep question. If I bump into you and you say, oh, you know, I'm a journalist, I could say, oh, how'd you decide to become a journalist? Like, what's your favorite part of your job? Now I'm asking you to, to talk about something real about yourself. And that's when we start to connect with each other. But a lot of it, I also think, and reading your book, is not just, we ask questions professionally. We, yeah. All three of us, actually. Yeah, but do. I know the answers. To you know the answers. And <laughs> most of the questions and I'm asking, I already you know. you listen to the answers. Yeah, yeah, but, but it's actually about listening. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So, no, no, talk about that because it's not, just, it's not just listening yourself. It's actually showing the other person that you're listening. That's exactly right. Pretending. When we're having really hard conversations, there's always, any, or really any kind of big conversation, there's something in the back of our head that, a product of evolution that says, is this person actually listening to me or are they waiting their turn to speak? Right. 
And so if we prove that we're listening, and, and there's a technique known as looping for understanding that they teach at Harvard and Stanford. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me ask you. No, looping I'm kidding. Looping for understanding. <laughs> okay. Ask a question. You repeat back what you heard in your own words, and yeah. then you ask them if you got it right. And That's what good. studies have shown is that when you do this, it transforms conversations because that other person believes you're listening to them, you've proved it, right. and that makes them want to listen to you in return. Okay, what about challenging confrontational conversations? Yeah, yeah, those are, those are tough, right? And, and in the book, we tell the story of Netflix where there was a, an internal civil war over race. And it would have been very normal for the company to say, look, this doesn't belong at the office. These, leave politics at home. But instead they said the opposite. They said, look, let's acknowledge our differences, but let's also acknowledge all of our similarities, that we're all people who are members of our community, we care about this company. And it's only by bringing everyone to the table and giving them a voice and showing that we listen to each other that you resolve issues like that. And so that's exactly right. In conflicts, we have to do the same thing. Okay, here's a harder one. So we're doing this face-to-face, -face, yeah. but the whole world has moved to this. Yes. And it's not just FaceTime, it's on text, it's on Slack, it's on email. And so often, it feels to me like um, people read things into your messages, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And this happens all the time. And it's oftentimes when we make a mistake, and it's because we forget that different forms of communication have different rules. So w when telephones first became popular, right. there was this theory that nobody would be able to have real conversations on them because they couldn't see each other. But of course, you and I, by the time we were teenagers, we had conversations for seven hours a night. Right. And our kids, I'm, I'm sure this is true of your kids, when they're on the phones, they understand that a text is different from an emoji, is different from an email, is different from a phone call. But those of us who are a little bit older, sometimes we forget that there's differences and we just have to remind ourselves of those rules. But what are the rules? I mean, no, because also, People try to read in, I wouldn't say the best of intentions, they often read in the worst of intentions. I think that's right, I think that's right. Or you might say something sarcastic and you can hear the sarcasm in your head, but they don't see it when they get the email. And I think the key there mm. is to overemphasize. So there was a bunch of studies done looking at particular online discussions, and they found that if just one person started saying please and thank you, the entire conversation got better, no matter how big it was. And so a rule for being online for right. a tough, is you say please and thank you, you overemphasize the politeness, you underemphasize the sarcasm. Did you catch that, Joe? Politeness. Yeah, politeness. <laughs> Unfortunately, when I'm sarcastic, it doesn't even have to be electronically. People still don't get it yeah. half the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, so I have a question for you, because my guess is what's happening there, take laughter. 80% mm -hmm. of the time when people laugh in a conversation, it's not in response to anything funny. Mm -hmm. It's because they're showing that they want to connect with you. So you're asking me. So, so my question No, I'm you, giving it back to you like you told me to do right, it. So you're doing a great you're, job. You're, was, was that good? I how about this? Good. I understand how you feel. Many of my clients have felt that way in the past, but they have found that... How's that sound? Yeah, very I got good. a lot of candy. I'd keep my cash with you. <laughs> what, what was 10,000 a good start? Or what, Absolutely. Would 20,000 be better for you? Do you take a check? Can I write it right now? <laughs> you know, I did think about um, how to win friends and influence people as yeah. one of the, the if you, you've read that. Of course, um, of course. And, and, and communicating and, but a lot of it, I'll tell you what, I, I don't, don't want to, to lessen what, what you're doing, but it kind of seems like sometimes you're, you're steering people where you want them to go for your own purposes. Well, so what's happened in the last 10 years is we're living through this golden age of understanding communication because of advances in neural imaging and data collection. We understand how communication happens in a way that back during 
that time of, of win friends and influence people, yeah, and they Paul didn't understand. Hill, yeah. right. And one of the things that we've learned is that their authenticity is incredibly important. That if I try and manipulate you in a conversation, maybe it'll work for a couple of minutes, but you're gonna see through it, right? And so what we need to engage in is this reciprocal authenticity. That when I say something real to you, something honest, your instinct is to say something honest back. And without that, we probably won't connect with Who's you. Who's the best communicator you know? I mean, the best communicator I know is a guy named Greg Nelson and Don and Steele. Let me ask you this, and they're friends of mine. Mm. When you've had a bad day and you want to call someone who you know will make you feel better, does that person pop into your mind? Do you know who you would call? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably most of the people watching do too. That person for you is a super communicator, and you're probably a super communicator back to them. But some people can do this consistently. Some people can connect with almost but anything. Can I ask, is that, do you think that's an authentic thing? The, the people who you say are the true super communicators, is it something, is it, is it this talent, this skill, is it a true, because when I started, I started uh, even introducing you, I said, there are these tricks, because I read the book and I'm like, okay, there are these little, I'm gonna try, try some of these tricks on you, but, right. but to call them tricks are maybe unfair. I think it is, I think it is. I think it's like saying that, you know, recognizing the alphabet is a trick to learn to read. Right. You actually know how to read, right? And, and when you do these skills, when you just practice this, our brains are designed to make them into habits and they become real. Because when I prove right. to you that I'm listening, it doesn't mean that I'm not listening. I right. actually have to listen to you to prove to you that I got what you I saying. also think, just one other thing, just, I, I, I'm not gonna sell the book for Charles, but I'm gonna, try, I'm gonna say this. I don't know if you ever have, you don't, you don't have this, but if you ever have an insecurity about going up to somebody and talking to somebody, I actually thought that, that there were lessons in this book about that, that would actually make you feel better uh, and more secure in, in actually approaching other people. Absolutely, there was a great study done by Harvard Business School where they told students they were gonna have conversations with strangers, which is really anxiety producing. And they told them, take five seconds and write down three topics you're gonna to talk about. Simple stuff like last night's movie and this weekend's game. Mm -hmm. And they found that people stuck those topics in their, in their pocket and they never came up, but they re reported being so much less anxious and the conversations being so much better simply because they had prepared for a little bit and they had something right. to fall back on. Just to fall back on, yeah, I get that. Is there any way to deliver bad news better? Absolutely, absolutely. The first thing that you can do is you can tell someone, I'm gonna give you bad news. And I want you to know we can have a conversation about it or, we, or you don't have to have a conversation. You can just take this and you can carry it with you and come back some other time. Start, I got the good news and the bad news is a good way to do it sometimes. And which one do you want first? That's a question, that, that always depends, it Although, depends. If you're laying someone off, saying, look, I have good news about the company, and the bad news is <laughs> you're fired. I don't yeah. think they're gonna listen that, to the good that news. That might not work. <laughs> Charles Duhigg, thank you. The book is called uh, Super Communicators, and it is fascinating. I learned a lot of lessons, and as I said, Joe, I'm gonna be trying out some you, of this stuff you, on you. You do that, you do that. Next on Squawk Pod, is your 401k going away? The bold idea that may change the way you plan for retirement with Manhattan Institute economist, Allison Schrager. When people do save more in their retirement accounts, they save less elsewhere, so overall net savings doesn't change. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills.
You're listening to Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew. Citigroup CEO Jane Frazier got a pay bump last year. Company lifting her pay by 6% to $26 million in 2023. That includes $1.5 million in salary and $24.5 million in stock-based and cash incentive awards. Frazier uh, has initiated an overhaul of Citigroup, including cutting 20,000 jobs in a bid to boost returns. I'm imagining some of those 20,000 people that are let go are looking at that payday, thinking some of that should be theirs, right? It's, it's what happens. That's an. That's not. I'm just saying that's the 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 sort of psyche. That's yes. a, that's average. I don't know what we're paying Juan Soto. Is it Juan? Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> the great Mario Soto. But I don't know what we're paying a good left-hander these days. It's a lot more than 26 million. I don't know what uh, Scar Joe's making. Yeah. in their next superhero movie, but it's probably more than $26 million. I'm glad she, that I think you're she's putting doing Jake Frazier in that, that category. Yeah. yeah. Well, I th- think she's doing something more important than those things, isn't she? She's got all those employees that, that are beholden to her and all the customers, and right? It's a lot of responsibility. You, think if you screw up and you're working at United or Boeing. Our next guest uh, has a bold prediction. She says that 401ks will be gone within a decade as the government looks for additional sources of revenue to keep up with entitlement programs, uh, ending tax-advantaged retirement plans. Joining us now, Allison Schrager, uh, Manhattan Institute's uh, senior fellow. Uh, Good to see you this morning. I want want you to explain your your rationale, uh, Allison. I, I just looking at the retirement situation we have uh, in this country, and I understand we have a $34 trillion uh, uh, problem in terms of total debt, but I don't see how you know, trying to deal with one makes sense to, to pull the rug out from, from what is not a great situation in the first place. And, and the retirement picture is already troubling enough. Um, so how, how, why do you think this is going to happen? Well, I want to be clear. I don't think retirement accounts are going away, but the tax deduction, I think we can sort of see that gaining less favor. We're already seeing the last 10 years is certainly among academics been growing evidence that the tax deduction doesn't induce people to save more. It just gets people. It's really the automatic enrollment that gets people to save more. And um Generally, what happens is when people do save more in their retirement accounts, they save less elsewhere. So overall, net savings doesn't change. So what we're seeing on the left as well is a lot of discomfort with uh, the 401k plans because the benefits largely accrue to the wealthy. And now we're seeing as well more right-leaning economists also being questionable about the 401k because they're saying it doesn't get people to save more anyway. It is tax advantage. I mean, it's not tax. A lot of people seem to think that they... um, it's it's tax free. It's not. You put the money in. You do pay taxes when you take it out, although you do save on capital gains taxes. And even that is estimated to be almost one percent of GDP. So as we're looking more to revenue, particularly in the next 10 years, when we start having to pay more for entitlements, it just seems like an obvious place to start, I think, for a lot of people. I'm a little honestly more skeptical. There are still things I like about the 401k, mainly the penalty that keeps people from saving uh, or withdrawing. But um, there's certainly I'm seeing a movement on the left and the right to say, you know, what are we doing this for? We need revenue. This is a good place to start. If you don't want people depending on uh, on the government as, as they get older and, and, you know, so don't touch entitlements. Um, 
and make it harder for people to have a, a bigger nest egg. I, I don't, I don't understand that. I, I would think that you would. I mean, because the compounding of money is so much quicker. That's why people buy annuities, anything that's tax deferred. The nest egg that a person has at when they finally approach retirement is going to be higher if it wasn't taxed as it was accruing each year. So it seems like you're just putting more strain on entitlements when some of those entitlements are what you should be looking at. I mean, if you really want to fix a problem, I don't know why you'd do it with 401k. I would, I would means test entitlements. Well, I mean, if we really want to do this right, we probably would put uh, individual accounts be a bigger centerpiece of our retirement system. But the entitlement system we have is incredible. I think, as we can see, incredibly popular and people are just will not tolerate cuts to it at all. And that's going to be putting a lot of strain on a sort of our fiscal situation. So I think the isn't that people don't want people saving for retirement. It's just that the I think growing evidence, the tax deduction doesn't really induce people to save more. So maybe we could get use this as another source of revenue that would be a lot more politically palatable, palatable than just like a bigger tax on income. So even if you uh, were to do entitlement reform, I mean, I don't know many people that think that, that we can get around it eventually. Why can't you do it when it starts? It's politically unpopular for people that are retiring in two or three or five years, but why, why not change it for people 20, 30 years from now? I mean, as I said, like all of us pension uh, scholars would love that. We've been sort of shouting that for years. Um, it just isn't. I mean, I think we can even see in this political campaign, even discussions of increasing the retirement age for people my age is uh, sort of become just sort of politically toxic. So, I mean, there's a lot of things we could do that would be better, but they've just proven impossible over the years. So I think this is why ultimately, you know, the 401k doesn't seem to have the same fan base that sort of our, for, that the social security system does, or even sort of corporate tax rates do. So I think this is why this is looking like a likely target. Well, it's not going to help. It's, it, obviously, it's not going to solve the problem. So what will solve the problem? How are we going to pay for all the non-discretionary things that, that we're going to pay for? Where should, if, basically, if the tax rate is above 50% in total in many places for many people around the country, what's a, what, 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 what would uh, advocates for higher taxes think is a fair rate? Is 70% okay? Um, well, I don't think anyone who says 70% is fair uh, is, uh, you know, is advocating that is thinking because it's fair. I think they're being more punitive. You know, I was I was emailing with uh, one of the people who wrote the paper, who, as I said, is a conservative economist, Andy Biggs, and he was like, you know, it's it's not that I want higher taxes. He's like, I just think that getting rid of the 401k dis, uh, tax deduction will just be less distortionary than other things we could do. I'd rather see this than a 70% income tax. Yeah, but it's, how much money are we talking about? Well, um, honestly, not enough. Um, it's uh, is it like one percent of GDP, but it is a start. And you know, it, at least is it. I think the thinking is as well is is at least tied to the retirement system, so it then goes back into entitlements. So I mean, I said like if I were in charge and I could completely reform entitlements, this is not how I would do it. It's just as I said like. With the tax system we have, with an entitlement system that seems completely intractable and unable to reform, this just seems like the least bad option. Okay. All right. Uh, interesting, uh, Alice. We'll see whether that uh, that does uh, come to pass. I don't like change, just of any kind, uh, basically. So I, I guess that's why I'm uh, I'm resistant. But where would we be 
we'd be, you know. It's, it's less strange than the alternative. I guess, I guess that. <laughs> yeah. I know. All right. You'll see someday, uh, Allison. Change is, you know, it just makes me anxious. Thank you. I know you get anxious with change at times. I'm, I'm not that with change. Change. I think you, you like. I'm, I'm cool with change. But because you like progress. Progress. And, and progressive. Yes. I think I know. Right. I know other people ideas. who don't like change as much. <laughs> who likes change? That is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for tuning in. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. Add us to your daily routine. I promise you won't regret it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. And welcome back. It's peanut buttery. It's chocolatey. It's the flavor merger America craved. That's right. The peanut butter group and chocolatey corp have become one. With Chocolatey Corp bringing indulgence to the table and peanut butter's eat-anytime ability, it's easy to see how their Jif peanut butter and chocolate-flavored spread will revolutionize snacking. One stock trader even told me, and I quote, Normally I just buy and sell, but this I'm going to eat. Experience the Jif PBC hype today.